The Story of Gambatar, Episode 3 The Crisis Meeting. Not long after Gambatar had started working at the Ministry of Agriculture, his boss made the short journey from the Ministry building to the Government Palace. It was only a five-minute walk, but he summoned the ministerial vehicle, he instructed the Ministry driver to attach the ministerial flags to the front of the ministerial bonnet. He was, after all, the Minister of Agriculture the third most powerful man in all of Mongolia after the president and vice-president. Actually, he thought to himself as he settled back into the leather-upholstery of the Zil limousine, the vice-president was really just a spare. The minister of agriculture was really the second most powerful man in Mongolia. By the time he arrived, the main chamber of the government palace was already packed. He took his seat on the dais, next to the president's empty chair. The president entered. Everyone stood and applauded. When the president thought he'd had enough applause, he gestured for everyone to sit down. The chamber, packed with Mongolia's most powerful leaders and wisest thinkers, fell silent. They all knew the reason for this crisis meeting, but no one knew the answer to their country's problems. The president wasted little time stating these problems. It had been hundreds of years since Chinggis Khan and his galloping warriors had dominated their entire continent, reaching the edge of Europe, and everyone knew how low their country had now sunk. Mongolia, though still vast, was trapped, landlocked, between two giants. It seemed their only role in the world was as a superpower separator, keeping the Soviet Union and the People's Republic of China apart a buffer state, a no-man's land of nomads, isolated, ignored, abandoned. Worse, the Jud had come, three years running, winters so severe they freeze livestock solid. Horses, camels, yaks, cattle, sheep, goats, all had perished in their thousands, millions. Nomads without livestock become refugees, and the capital was now surrounded by a radiating spatter of gare, as desperate, destitute and starving Mongolians from all across the nation sought help to survive. The president asked if anyone had any ideas to solve their country's crisis. Then he sat down. The Minister of Agriculture felt he should stand and say something, but he couldn't think what. The silence grew. Then, from the back of the hall, a hand was raised and a reedy voice asked permission to speak. Heads swiveled to the back of the hall, pens hovered above notepads. When Professor Dalai spoke, Mongolians listened. 
Professor Dalai always had strange ideas, but was known for his vision, his ability to see what others cannot see. Maybe that's why his parents called him Dalai. It means ocean. And to landlocked Mongolians, the ocean represents all that's distant, mysterious, mystical and magical. The world beyond Mongolia's borders fascinated Professor Dalai. Every day, books, newspapers and magazines in all sorts of languages and all sorts of scripts were delivered to his office at the university next door to the Ministry of Agriculture. Professor Dalai would be their only recipient in all of Mongolia. He devoured these foreign publications daily. If one of them contained the answer to their nation's problems, there was only one person in Mongolia who'd know it. Professor Dalai's suggestion astonished everyone in the room. Fish, he said. While our people starve, our rivers and lakes are full of food. Our land is blessed with rivers and lakes. If we learned how to raise fish, we would never go hungry. Now, if you've never been to Mongolia, you wouldn't know what a bizarre suggestion this was. Status, honour, wealth, calories are all measured by the hoof. Livestock is Mongolia's lifeblood, and meat and dairy, its diet. Mongolians could see the point to growing vegetables. You could feed them to your cattle. But fish? Mongolians see fish like we see flowers. Pretty enough, but not anything you consider putting in your mouth. But this was a crisis, and no one had any other ideas. Calling the meeting to a close, the president turned to the Minister of Agriculture, who immediately sat up straighter and tried to look even more solemn. Minister, said the president, choose five of your brightest staff and send them to Russia to learn the mysteries of fish farming. This, then, was how Gambatar's fate was sealed and his unique story set in motion. In episode four, The Paperwork, we'll hear how Gumbatar found himself studying in Russia, what he found himself studying, and why. The series was written, narrated, and produced by Sternwriter. Audio production by Samuel Wynn. The Truth Lies in Bedtime Stories is a see-through news production. See-through news is a not-for-profit social media network with the goal of speeding up carbon drawdown by helping the inactive become active. For more, visit seethroughnews.org. Thank you for listening.